A deep dive into the German report this morning. First with Global BC's Keith Baldry and Richard Zussman. And the BC Liberals leader, Andrew Wilkinson, joins us. We finish the show by talking about a court effort to stop the proportional representation referendum with the ICBA's Chris Gardner. For Kamloops Computer Center, this is Inside Politics with Radio NL News Director Shane Woodford. Good morning and welcome. Real pleasure to be joined on the phone this morning by both Richard Zussman and Keith Baldry. Welcome, gentlemen. How are you guys doing? Everyone all good? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to apologize for my voice, by the way. I woke up this morning with an unbelievable cold, so uh, if I sound a little stuffy, I am, in fact, stuffy. So uh, the German report, uh, let's dive right into that. Uh, man, oh, man, this thing. International crime syndicates, kidnapping, murder, extortion, gangsters, uh, people bringing literal bags of dirty cash in the tens of millions of dollars into casinos for chips. Uh, Keith, we knew this thing was going to be uh, pretty powerful. Did you expect such a scathing uh, uh, review when Peter German tabled this thing for us? Well, I mean, it, it, I didn't expect it, it to be this comprehensive. I mean, it's 267 pages or something, including appendices, and it's uh, wide-ranging. And it's, it's very unsettling because it's not just about casinos. Uh, he, he does certainly leave the impression and, and boldly states that he wants to continue to probe and research other sectors where he thinks money laundering and the presence of, of organized crime basically is prevalent, and that includes the real estate sector, uh, and he, he singles out such things as the um, metal recycling industry as uh, a, a spot where perhaps uh, big, big amounts of uh, money laundering is going on. Uh, luxury car purchases, uh, horse racing. Uh, he's basically anywhere where you can uh, have a, a transaction that involves uh, a lot of uh, cash on hand rather than checks. He wants a probe, and he gives a signal that uh, he thinks this, this criminal activity is happening in far more places than just casinos. So I, I was, I was um, alerted or, or, or tweaked, I think, as his first little report that came into David Eby for the first time talked about things beyond casinos. And that's what I was looking for in his, in his report that was released this week. And there's not a lot of new information about the other sectors, but there's enough there, I think, to, uh, to suggest that uh, he thinks there's, there's pretty high level levels of crime, criminal activity underway in other sectors of society. And this, is, this goes beyond BC's casinos. It's in a lot of other places as well. Yeah, and those investigations are going to be pretty complicated. We'll dive into that because uh, Peter German's still on the job launching a phase two investigation. We'll touch on that in just a little bit. Uh, but Richard, I, I don't know about you, but I was just I was a little bit caught off guard by how, uh, how much at ease the gangsters had it and just kind of traipsing or into Vancouver and just pretty much doing whatever they wanted and using it like, uh, as Peter German said, a laundromat. It's like uh, Coolio's Gangster's Paradise down there. Yeah, <laughs> one of the interesting things here, Shane, though, is that Attorney General David Eby made this a big priority of his when he got the job as Attorney General. In opposition, he was dogmatic around uh, the sort of things that were going on in casinos. He really grabbed, uh, gripped on to the reporting that was done uh, by Keith and our colleague Sam Cooper, who's now with uh, Global News, as well as Kathy Tomlinson from the Globe and Mail, uh, and the sort of work that they had done looking in to widespread money laundering in casinos. So the fact it was happening, I don't think was a major surprise. EB had sort of plotted out this course after he hired uh, Dr. P Peter German earlier this year to uh, start this investigation. He had done a number of interim reports, updates. So we knew how widespread it is. Uh, you know, I, I think a big part of this is enforcement. One of the big recommendations that came out of this report uh, is that German is calling uh, for a new police uh, body basically to enforce uh, money laundering, and that would be uh, in part specific to casinos as well. And then also calling for a new regulatory body that would work like a crown corporation uh, to oversee the industry. It's important for people to know, and I think most people know this, gaming is legal in this province. It's a massive industry. Lots of people love to participate in gaming. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just getting the crime out of that. And that's what German was, was really trying to get at. And, and, you know, both Keith and I... Uh, we, we looked at the report basically sitting beside each other here in Victoria, and, and those two things stood out, I think, to both of us around uh, the enforcement arm of things and, and moving forward 
and how the government actually uh, can get this crime uh, out of BC casinos, especially those in the Lower Mainland. Yeah, and some would argue that they're already sort of chased them out. The question now is where do they go next? Uh, Keith, uh, 48 recommendations in here. Do the NDP go with all 48? Can they afford to shirk on any of them? No, I think they're going ahead with all of them. Um, uh, Peter German is under the impression that all of them are a go, and it's going to cost some money. It's going to cost money to create a new police force that will operate 24-7. Uh, right now, as German points out, uh, any enforcement is, is sort of just business hours and not on weekends, and nobody works overnight. So when a, a suspicious transaction is, is seen at, like, you know, 11 o'clock at night or 10 o'clock at night, uh, there's nobody there necessarily to uh, to take a second look at it. So there's going to be a 24-7 police force. That's going to cost millions of dollars. The regulatory uh, regime that Richard mentioned, that's going to cost uh, some money as well. So it's going to make a dent into uh, gaming revenues. But as Richard says, gaming is a huge industry in this province. It is, and it's a necessary one because it, it does fund a lot of things in B.C. It, you know, you look at the community gaming grants, for example. I mean, Little League Baseball, parent advisory councils, transition houses, uh, uh, search and rescue teams, all of these organizations, and the list is long, there's like 20 different uh, groups of uh, sectors of organizations, all get money from uh, gaming, uh, gaming grants, and it comes from the BC Lottery Corporation. Much of that money comes through casinos, the bulk of the money for, for uh, community gaming grants and general government revenue comes through casinos, so that's not going away nor should it go away. And it's uh, for people to think, oh, we just have to get rid of all the casinos and gaming, it's just foolishness because we've now come to depend on that revenue for funding so many things in society. So uh, uh, the, it's incumbent on the NDP, uh, whatever, who's ever in power in this province, to do more to ensure criminal activity doesn't occur in these places. But these places aren't going anywhere. And to that point, Richard, uh, you could probably make the argument that perhaps the government of the day uh, was the most addicted to that gaming revenue, which may have played some kind of a role in, in, in uh, sort of a turning of the blind eye to this problem for so long. Yeah, you bring up an interesting point there, Shane, because I, you know, there have been a lot of issues raised over the last few days about who should be to blame in all of this. Uh, and, you know... Peter German made it clear in the report. His job was not to find blame, it was to look forward. And so I think the media is taking it upon themselves to find blame in all this. And a lot of the blame is being pointed towards uh, the Liberal ministers who were in charge, Mike DeYoung uh, and Rich Coleman. And no doubt, uh, a lot of mistakes were made. You can go back, a few reports were done looking into the potential of money laundering. In a report in 2009 and a report in 2011, both found major issues. And at the time... Uh, both government, uh, you know, government officials basically said, well, it's not that big a deal, not a whole lot we can do, uh, and they didn't do a lot. But I think, you know, the way that electoral politics works is that it, it's complicated <laughs> in terms of punishment. Like, I, I'm not sure what the public wants to see in terms of punishment, in terms of former, uh, you know, politicians who are in power then and aren't anymore. But David Eby made this point when he was speaking about this this week. The Liberals were punished, in part because of this issue, many others, uh, and they're no longer in power, and the NDP's now in power. So that goes back to your original question. I think you're sort of alluding uh, to a lot of the donors that were making political donations to the Liberals. Uh, a lot of, you know, I've seen some lists pop up of dozens and dozens and dozens of donations from, you know, casino companies uh, that were made to the B.C. Liberals, and people are trying to equate that to them not making any changes. You know, I just... I think that's a lot of hogwash in many cases. I think governments make decisions that they think are best for the day. It's, it's hard. You know, the fact that the Liberals aren't putting Rich Coleman up to speak to the public about what happened, it makes it very hard to understand exactly why those decisions were made. But I think it's a real big jump to say that the reason why the Liberals didn't do anything about money laundering in casinos is because their corporate donors uh, were funding them. But there's, there's, there is blame to be put here. It's just a question of how you want to place that blame. Yeah, I was more referring to just the revenues overall going into B.C. government coffers. Keith, people are definitely foaming at the mouth for, for some kind of blame or fault-finding here. Uh, we talked to David Eby, who didn't seem too thrilled about a public inquiry, but he also didn't close the door on it. Your thoughts there? Uh, I don't think there'll be a public inquiry. It's, it's interesting. You know, when, when parties are in opposition, they want public inquiries into everything. 
And then when they go into government, suddenly public inquiries are never a good idea. And uh, in this case, I don't think a public inquiry would uh, would establish much. I mean, I've been sort of down on public inquiries for a long time because the reality is, and we've seen a couple of public inquiries in BC basically go south because uh, everybody isn't everybody who's going to be a potential witness or the, the subject of any scrutiny is entitled to a taxpayer-funded lawyer. Everybody lawyers up. Uh, lawyers challenge everything in terms of what's admissible, what's not, what can be said, what can't be said. The whole thing can grind to a halt very quickly. We saw that back uh, when the, uh, uh, under the uh, Bingo inquiry, Bingo Gate inquiry, that was supposed to, you know, go after the NDP uh, fundraising in Nanaimo in the 90s. The Liberals came in, and you would think it would be in their interest to keep that inquiry, their political interest to keep that inquiry going. Uh, the Attorney General today, Jeff Klein, shut it down saying this is going nowhere because everybody's lawyered up. It's just the lawyers are making a lot of money off public inquiries, but not a lot of information is coming out. So, no, I don't think there's going to be a public inquiry in this. And Evie's let it uh, be known, and Richard's right. The line of the day from Evie was uh, in terms of punishment, well, the government was fired. Uh, well, and they're, and they're out of office. The Liberals are out of office, and, uh, and that's it. So it's, uh, it's Evie's game now, and he's going to bring in the reforms that are going to be required. Okay, let's take a quick break here on Inside Politics on Radio NL. We'll continue our conversation with both Keith Baldry and Richard Zussman right after this. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local news now. For Kamloops Computer Center. You're listening to Inside Politics on Radio NL. Once again, here's Shane Woodford. Good morning and welcome back. We're talking to Richard Zussman and Keith Baldry. Uh, there is going to be a, a definitely a political aspect to this. The NDP are going to try and hang this uh, on the BC Liberals uh, every which way they can. The BC Liberals will be desperately trying uh, to put some distance between themselves in this thing. We've seen Jazz Joe Hall come out at first to address this. Andrew Wilkinson's doing the media rounds this morning. Matter of fact, he'll be on the show here in about 10 minutes or so. Uh, Keith, your reaction is sort of what the BC Liberals, uh, what kind of course they're charting on this so far? Well, I think it was silly to put Jazz Johal up as, a, as the first initial response. He was not part of the government. Um, he played no role in this. Uh, the fact they were hiding... It's one thing to hide De Jong and Coleman, who were the main ministers responsible. But, I mean, Andrew Wilkinson should have just, you know, um, manned up and said, okay, I'm the leader. I'm going to be... I'm, I'll be talking about this. I mean, Johal Gate made some good points, but ultimately he's not the guy uh, to respond to this. And it, it had to be someone at the cabinet table and uh, certainly or someone in a leadership role that's andrew wilkinson so i thought the liberals sort of botched this although i they probably just had a bad hand and no matter what which way they played it was going to end up up bad there's not much uh, pushback they've got on, on something like this the only thing i would note as well for the liberals is that the casinos uh situation or, or system was actually created by the ndp under Glenn Clark, it was it was uh, that's when casinos first were allowed to, to come into BC. The rules were changed; they started to proliferate. He wanted to bring in a big Vegas casino, Vegas-style casino on Vancouver's waterfront. Was under Steve Wynn. That was a major controversy at the time. And the Liberal leader at the time, Gordon Campbell, made that a big campaign issue that the Liberals would would stop the expansion of gambling in BC. Which so it's richly ironic that gambling comes back to bite them big time uh, when one of their original campaign promises was to actually shrink the role of gaming in BC but as we noted earlier uh, gaming is a rich trove of revenue for governments and that's why all governments uh, are going to be addicted to gaming revenues for some time so EV is not going to do so much as to really dampen those revenues but he's going to do some and the Liberals are just going to have to sit by and, and take it uh, they're going to have to be pummeled a bit and take it. There's not much more they can do. Uh, the best PR advice is always, if you got to eat a crap sandwich, eat it as fast as you can. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Richard, uh, I don't know if they're making matters worse, but it did catch my ear that uh, when Jazz Johal first came out, he, he made some reference to the 2009 uh, police squad that uh, the Liberals killed uh, that has drawn some attention, saying that uh, that was a call from the police and not the government of the day, something the RCMP have, have sort of denied in a statement. Um David Eby uh, on this uh, on our show yesterday basically dared them to table some evidence. Says he's very concerned. It's a concerning allegation. Please forward me the name of this person. Uh, making matters worse or no? Yeah, like I, I, Shane, is this sort of back and forth on 
what, when is clearly important. That's what Peter German outlined there. Uh, I don't, I don't know exactly what you're referring to when you mentioned this thing that David Eby told you yesterday about the concerning allegations. So there's not a lot I can say to that. But I think that you know, it's a. Pointing is clearly going to be part of this. Uh, Keith made the valid point that Josh Dohal wasn't involved in the government when these decisions were made. I think that's valid. I think Rich Coleman, you know, I'm, I don't really agree with this sort of where is Rich Coleman game, but if he is going to run to be the next mayor of Surrey, he needs to be held accountable for decisions he's made in the past. If he wants to show uh, that he is someone that you know, can be counted on by voters. If he wants to continue in a public service role, uh, he needs to answer questions that the public has. So I think at some point, Coleman will have to address these concerns. Whatever he says, I'm not sure how valid it is. You know, it was a year ago today that there was that historic confidence vote that led to the end of the Liberal reign, and both Keith and I brought up that point. So Hmm. I think politically, uh, this makes a difference, but I think... As Keith pointed, the NDP will be judged on how they move forward uh, in all of this and what's done in the future in terms of cracking down on money laundering. And I think quickly the public will forget the past. And if they're able to clean this up, it will be seen as a massive, massive victory for the NDP. Uh, looking forward, Peter German's not done. Uh, terms of reference are being worked on on his uh, what's being called the Phase 2 money laundering report. We talked about it just a bit off the top of the show, but uh, this second one may be more fascinating than the first mm-hmm. as he moves into the real estate housing industry. Uh, I talked to Peter German about that yesterday, Keith, and I was struck by when he told me that this is an entirely different beast. In some ways, his first report is going to be uh, a lot easier than the one he's about to tackle because of the breadth and width and the complications of the real estate industry itself. Yeah, and uh, and keep in mind, the casino problem had been flagged publicly for years. I mean, so in many respects, German's report was... um didn't break a lot of new ground. Uh, he, in fact, and he goes out of his way to cite journalists' reporting of, of this problem over a number of years, and that it, that brought to light what was going on in BC's casino. So it wasn't a bolt from the blue that, hey, there's money laundering going on in BC casinos. We knew that was happening. What German did was sort of put a lot of uh, detail and anecdotal detail and depth to what exactly the problem was. What we have not seen is a lot of uh, information made public about the real estate industry, about metal recycling, luxury car purchases, uh, horse racing. Those are all the areas Peter German has flagged for further interest. So that's sort of fertile, new fertile ground that has not been tilled, and German's going to be arguably the first person to do that. That's why I think his next report, uh, when he produces it, will likely be even potentially more explosive. If he, if he does find material that, that matches his suspicions, um, then uh, that's that's going to be uh, arguably more explosive than what he found in BC's casinos. Yeah, I would totally agree. Uh, Richard, I guess when we look at the housing issue, uh, we got the housing crisis, uh, tendrils, of course, and the opioid crisis. Uh, is is it imperative to take the time needed to do this report? Because it struck me how quickly the, the casino report, and it was well done on, on Peter German's side, but there was definitely, let's get this out, let's get this going six months, let's get a report in. Uh, it seems to me the complications on the real estate side may require a little more time than that. Yeah, I think, Shane, you make a great point there because there is pressure to get it out because the affordability crisis, you know, doesn't seem to be going anywhere. So I think the public wants answers on that. You know, that issue makes a much more profound difference in everybody's day-to-day lives than, you know, the casino issue does. And, you know, he's alluded to how much revenues come in from casinos and the impact that has on community. That's incredibly important. But housing is something that basically affects every single person's life. So... I think you have to take your time, you do this right, it's going to be complicated. The other thing to point out is a few weeks ago, uh, Finance Minister Carol James announced uh, this new registry that the province is going to launch, first in Canada, to require that every single property purchased has a name attached to it. So no more of these number corporations, no more of these blind trusts. And the reason I bring that up now is because You know, one of the ways that money is getting into the system from other countries, in many cases it was pointed out in the report, from Asia is through these blind trusts, through these numbered corporations, uh, and then so those corporations are then used to buy homes. 
I know it's complex, but it is having a profound difference. And that one change that will come in uh, in legislation, I think, in the fall, will help address one of the issues linked, I think, to money laundering and the housing market. But there's a lot more uh, at stake here, and there's it's a big web. And it will take time, right? To, we know that Peter German traveled to Las Vegas as part of this report. Uh, no doubt, as part of uh, the housing report, would likely have to travel uh, to Asia and to other places where we believe part of the roots of the problem are. So uh, we'll see how long it takes them to do. But if you add in travel and that sort of time, it could take a lot longer than the casino report did. I think Peter German has found himself some long-term employment. Uh, Keith Richard, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Okay, take care, Shane. There we go. Keith Baldry and Richard Zussman from Global BC. Uh, some valuable perspective there on the Peter German report that sort of rocked the province over the last few days. And I think uh, it's one that we're going to still be feeling the ripples of for some days to come. We'll take a quick break here on Inside Politics on Radio NL. On the other side, BC Liberals leader Andrew Wilkinson joins us. Local news now. Radio NL, 610 AM and RadioNL.com. From both sides of the floor, this is Inside Politics with Shane Woodford for Kamloops Computer Center on Radio NL. Good morning and welcome back to Inside Politics. It's an overcast day here in Kamloops. I imagine being the leader of the B.C. Liberal Party or any party can have its good and bad days. Uh, we'll ask uh, there, my next guest if this is one or the other. Uh, Andrew Wilkinson joining us. Andrew, how are you? Good, how are you? I am well. You're doing the media rounds today. I'm going to probably say you're going to earn a good afternoon nap today. Well, it's been a busy 24 hours, I'll tell you. <laughs> Andrew, uh, your party obviously taking some heat over the German report because you were the government of the day. Uh, off the top, why try why trot out Jazz Joe Hall? Why why wouldn't you, the leader of the party, come out the day of and, and just face the media right there? Well, we didn't know that when the report was coming out in terms of the day timing. I was actually traveling at the time, and Mr. Joe Hall was available, and so off we go. You know, you, you take people who are available, not people who were in an airplane. Yeah, perhaps it would have been better to take some time, but you're out here doing it now. Uh, first off, uh, you were a former attorney general, obviously uh, not a first-time MLA, so you were involved with the former government. Did did that government, to your knowledge, ignore or suppress money laundering allegations? Well, no. These things never come up at Cabinet because criminal investigations should not be reviewed by politicians and must not be reviewed by politicians. So the issue becomes, you know, this is about the oversight and management of criminal investigations. And that cannot be done by politicians. And so the controversy that seems to be in the air these days is uh, the overhaul of programs that were deemed to be ineffectual in 2009, 2011, 2015. And interestingly, the one in 2015 uh, became the Joint Illegal Gambling um, Investigation Team. And that has continued to this day. It's been endorsed by Mr. German. It has reduced the illegal transactions or suspicious transactions, rather, by 60%. And the goal is to reduce them to zero. So all of us are looking for the prosecution to arise from these apparent uh, illicit activities. That's what needs to happen is to get these people in front of the courtroom. And we'll be, of course, uh, accepting the recommendations of Mr. German and telling David Eby and company to get out there and get these prosecutions going. You know, they've told us everything was wrong. Now it's up to them to tell, tell us as uh, civilians and taxpayers and residents of B.C. that they're doing something right. Okay, but this the bulk of this happened under your watch, the B.C. Liberals' watch, uh, back to 2008, various alarm bells. I mean, I'm, sh I'm sure you've read the report. I mean, if uh, I would say it's a systemic failure, unless you're going to completely disagree with me. Uh, so where were the prosecutions? Uh, that's exactly what Peter German said. Rather than point any one individual, including the ministers involved, it was uh, an attempt on a number of occasions using different models to... Uh, chased down and deal with money laundering, and they weren't working, so they kept getting revised. In 2011, there was a ministerial investigation, and in late 2011, there was a complete overhaul of the process. They tried it for a few years, tried getting away from cash completely, didn't work, and so they had to revise that again in 2015 and found a program that does work, which is the current program which has been endorsed by uh, Mr. German. But shouldn't there have been prosecutions and, and, and things happening under your watch? RCMP themselves raised the alarm, and, and they got stuffed in a back room somewhere and told to shut up and not talk to the media. Well, I think that's actually a complete overstatement, Shane, and you and I don't quibble that much, but you significantly overstated the issue in that the RCMP have to be the ones doing the investigations. Police forces have to be the ones who bring charges to Crown Council. 
Crown Council then decides on two terms whether there's going to be a, pri- a trial, and that's whether there's a substantial likelihood of conviction and whether it's in the public interest. We haven't seen any of that. So the police have to get on with their business and find the model that works to get these prosecutions done, and then Crown Council have to decide to press charges and get the convictions. That's what needs to get done. And the uh, JIGIT, I gather, has been quite successful in reducing suspicious transactions and needs to continue its work. And let's get these prosecutions going, and we'll be holding David Eby to account for that. He says he's got the perfect world going now. Let's see the results. Did your government drop the ball on this? I don't think so. You keep chasing bad guys, they keep changing their techniques and their tools. And so the, you know, the more major criticism would be if a single model had been kept and nothing happened. They kept trying to improve the model to try and chase this down. You know, whether it's money laundering or malaria, you got to keep trying. You don't just give up and carry on with something that doesn't work, nor do you just throw up your hands and give up entirely. And that's what happened here. There are a number of revisions of the model over the year, years, and finally they found one that worked in 2015, and it continues to this day. And I certainly don't apologize for that. What, uh, I mean... Uh, one of the interesting aspects of the political arena, as I'm sure you're aware, is is the effort to hang something on the other party. You guys certainly have done that for the better part of two decades with fast ferries and the economy of the 90s. Uh, you have to know that this thing is going to, is uh, the NDP is going to try every which way to, to do the same with this thing. Don't you, Andrew? Well, that's what the NDP will try to do, and our job as opposition is to say, well, get on with the job, serve the interests of taxpayers, stop trying to score political points about things that happened 10 years ago, David Eby. Get on with your job, clean up the money laundering. You say you know how to do it, prove it. On the other hand, you're going to make a pitch to voters to be the next premier of this province whenever the writ drops. Uh, how can you make that pitch if you can't say, hey, listen, we, we may have messed this up uh, and we're going to take some responsibility for that? Well, we fixed it up in 2015. I got elected in 2013. Criminal investigations should not be the subject of political interference. They never should be in our society. And so now that they've found a model that works with the GIGIT, this joint investigation team, they should carry on with that. That's what Mr. German suggested, and that's what David Eby should do. So let's get on with the job and stop trying to score political points. Uh, housing is next for Mr. German. Uh, his report uh, had some pretty serious links, the opioid overdose crisis, real estate. It looks like money laundering to, uh, to a pretty major degree is, is dried up in casinos, thankfully, after being used like an ATM for a decade. Uh, are you concerned about where that money might be going? Uh, you know, things like housing, things like real estate, things like horse racing, things like metal recycling, all certainly issues. Absolutely, and it's time for the the police forces involved to get out there and do the investigations, find out what happens to all this money. You know, we hear a lot of generalities about these things. We don't get any specifics. We don't see the perpetrators in front of the camera. We don't see charges being laid. So if this stuff's going on, get out there and investigate it and bring these convictions. But how serious is it, Andrew? I mean, we, we have a housing crisis in this province, and if there is any kind of degree, great or not, that the money laundering and or cr- the proceeds of crime have played into that, I imagine that that has to be a high priority. Well, I would hope so, and it's up to uh, Mr. German to continue his work and for David Eby to make sure the prosecutions are occurring. And that's up to the minister responsible for the police, Mike Farnworth, as well, because they've been talking about $10 million a year over a period of 10 years, you know, $10 million a year will buy you three houses in Vancouver on a good day. So we have to be careful about the scale of these allegations and make sure they're not getting pumped up for political purposes. But let's get on with it. Let's see some results. They've pointed out that they think there's an issue there. Let's not just talk about it and throw it on blame. Let's do something. Is this a, a lesson to be learned here? Because it looks like something manifested itself and then spread throughout our economy. Uh, it's caused widespread ramifications. And if we could have somehow found a way to nip it in the bud a decade ago, perhaps we would have saved ourselves a lot of pain. Well, we only have to look at the fentanyl crisis to look at a model where it's very difficult to deal with. We've all got to commit to it. We've had thousands of people dying from fentanyl since the spring of 2016 when we declared a public health emergency. And it's continuing unabated, and we all have an interest to bring that to an end because it's killing people in our communities, including in Kamloops. And so we all have to think, how is that going to be cleaned up? Well, we've got to get more enforcement. We've got to get the traffickers prosecuted. We've got to get the cash flow sorted out because I don't think there's any doubt when people make money off selling drugs, they try to clean that money through the system. And if there's money laundering going on, get the police on it and prosecute them. Because, as I say, we have yet to see any people paraded before the courts as uh, having been prosecuted for these crimes. 
Uh, the German report was pretty thorough. I think you and I will both agree that Peter German did a pretty fantastic job there. However, it was a, a fact-finding report, not a fault-finding one. Uh, where do you land on, uh, I don't know, whether it's a public inquiry or something uh, to, to find fault? Do you think we should go down that road or no? Well, you have to ask, as Ian Mulgrew did in the uh, Vancouver Sun yesterday, is anything going to change as a result of this, or do all the staff people stay in their roles, or will you reorganize accordingly? You know, we'll be holding the NDP to account for that. Because you can't say that, oh, Rich Coleman needs to be blamed for everything, but nothing's going to change. Well, that's just grossly irresponsible. If they're going to improve things into the future and get these prosecutions going, they're going to have to obviously reorganize and get more focused on it. Mr. German said the JIGIT investigation team is doing a good job, so let them get on with it. And that's going to be the real test. But the, the fact that nothing is going to change at the staff level is a little bit surprising to me. So you think heads should roll at the staff level or some kind of massive reorganization? Well, I don't think heads rolling is a productive exercise. What you got to do is fix the problem. If there's a glitch or a holdup or insufficient resources, then address that. Come up with a remedial plan. I haven't seen any kind of remedial plan. All I've seen is trying to blame things on politicians 10 years ago. That's not going to put anybody in jail. Andrew, you're always generous with your time. Always appreciate talking to you, and I know you're on the hot seat today, and uh, I always appreciate when a politician on the hot seat doesn't shirk that responsibility. So thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. Anytime. I'm happy to just talk to you any time of the day. All right. Uh, Andrew, uh, thanks again. Uh, that's Andrew Wilkinson, leader of the B.C. Liberals, talking about the German report. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and on the other side, uh, we'll finish up by talking on the proportional representation issue as a court effort is launched to quash the referendum. What's that about? We'll find out next. Radio NL, RadioNL.com, local news now. Keeping you informed from both sides. For Kamloops Computer Center, this is Radio NL's Inside Politics with Shane Woodford. Good morning and welcome back. We finish off the show with an interesting development in the proportional representation front. Uh, joining me to talk about that, the president of the Independent Contractors and Business Association, Chris Gardner. Chris, how are you? Good morning. Doing well, thanks. Good. Thanks for coming on. Uh, Chris, you're a lawyer, uh, so you know a little something about the law. Uh, you guys have gone to court along with some other groups uh, looking to quash the referendum uh, this November. Uh, give me an idea of what's going on here. Who's, who's joining you and what's the legal argument at stake? Well, we're, first of all, we're, we're concerned that the entire uh, process has been rushed and there's, there's effectively no consultation with British Columbians. And what's at stake here is a fundamental change. In, in our government and in our constitution, how we elect the provincial government. This is not something that, that is, is, should be undertaken as a normal course of government policy. This is something that needs to be thought through carefully, citizens consulted over a long period of time so people understand what's going on. And the challenge is that uh, the NDP government has rushed through um, a process of consultation, uh, which effectively no one really knew was ongoing. Um, they've set a very tight deadline for the referendum. And the questions are very confusing. And there won't be enough time or information for voters, uh, given to voters uh, so they can make a, uh, this important decision. And so we're very concerned that um, the process is fundamentally flawed. And what the government needs to do is step back. And if they want to have a referendum on proportional representation, they've got to do it the right way. We're saying this is not the right way to do it. Um, the other thing, the other, the other view we have is we just don't think that, that proportional representation uh, is going to give us an effective government, um, and that that concerns us deeply. Uh, you're not just saying it's not the right thing to do. You're flat out, uh, according to your court filing, saying it's illegitimate and violates the Constitution. How so? Well, first of all, um, there's there's a couple of issues that are at stake here. Um, first. Um, there is uh, some of, you may recall, when Quebec was considering separation, the Supreme Court of Canada was very clear. In fundamental questions like this, the question has to be clear, and the majority of voters who support it, it has to be a compelling majority. It can't just be 50% plus one. Uh, it's got to be a clear, compelling majority answering a very clear question. And if you think of the previous attempts to um, uh, at electoral reform in 2005 and 2009 in British Columbia, um, there was a long uh, period of consultation. And the process was set out so um, you needed to achieve 60% uh, voters supporting it 
across the province, and then 60% of the ridings had to vote in favor of it. So there's a two-tiered approval process. What the NDP have done is they've said it's just 50% plus one of all the voters voting. And, um, and the other thing they've done is they're making this a mail-in ballot uh, in the fall. They could have added this ballot, the, the ballot questions to the municipal election ballot to make it easier for voters to, uh, to, to vote and participate. They didn't do that. In 2005 and 2009, the question was, uh, was, held, was uh, the referendum was held at the same time as the provincial election, again, making it more convenient for voters to participate. Uh, this is a mail-in ballot, um, and we think that as a result of, of the, sh- the short time frame, the lack of information, um, the fact that it's a mail-in ballot and the low, the low threshold, all of that together is, is a violation of a number of constitutional principles that are very important to our democracy. This is a fundamental change in how we, uh, how we elect government. And mm-hmm. It can't be rushed. It has to be considered and thought for. Uh, uh, not just a legal argument on, on the process itself, but also the options on the ballot. The rural-urban, uh, according to your court filings, uh, you make the claim that it violates the Canadian Charter of Rights. Well, yeah, I mean, the, uh, the rural-urban option is, does, first of all, it's not used in any other jurisdiction. And it's going to create two different electoral systems that are going to operate differently, one for rural areas and one for urban areas. Um, and we just think this is going to add to confusion. People aren't going to understand it. And, and then once you get beyond this process, if you have to think of, of where proportional representation is operating today and, and what the... Uh, um, and how, how ineffective it's been at providing uh, clear direction in, at the end of an election. So um, you have the rise of fringe parties in nearly every jurisdiction. In every jurisdiction where there's proportional representation, you go from a two, three-party system to one that has 20, 30, 40 parties on the ballot. And you get fringe parties who uh, are successful in electing one or two or three different members. And all of a sudden, they're in a conversation with uh, about forming a majority government and it creates instability uh and it creates um uh, there's long periods of time where there's a whole bunch of backroom dealing and the government's there's a whole bunch of uncertainty related to that because you could go six eight months without a, a government uh, being formed after the election because you can't get five six ten parties together to agree on an agenda to form a government um and if you look at italy they've had 66 governments uh, in the last 72 years. Uh, we've had 22. Yeah. I don't think our economy would be better off or Canada would be better off if we had 43 more governments over the last... Uh, there's also there's I mean, also countries where it works pretty well. Your Denmark's, your Norway's, uh, New Zealand works pretty well. Uh, there are countries where... The, I mean, it is a, is a legitimate democratic system, and first past the post is hardly perfect either. I'll note that both Donald Trump and Russian President Vladimir Putin elected in that, in that uh, system, and they've caused a fair amount of uncertainty between the two of them. Yeah, I, I think generally the advantage of our current system is that it's fair and it's simple. Generally, the party with the most votes is going to form a majority government, and you get an opportunity to, to, for that government to um, lay out its agenda and act legislation. And four years later, if you don't like it, then you can change government. And so if the government, you know, Russia I don't think is a good example because that's not a, that's not a fully functioning democracy. <laughs> uh, in the United States, if people, if people don't like uh, Donald Trump in, in another uh, little over two years, they're going to have not to go to the polls and, and, uh, and toss him out of office. Um, and so I think the fact that um, whether you like where the government's heading or not, um, there is a sense of uh, you, you get to understand the direction. And in British Columbia and Canada, generally the governments are more moderate. And, you know, you, there's, some, there's certainty and predictability about what's going to unfold over the next four years. When you start getting into proportional representation, there'll be more minority governments, less stability, less certainty about where the economy is going to be going uh, based on uh, changes in government policy. Uh, I think there'll be more confusion. And again, the rise of fringe parties on the extreme left or right I don't think it's going to be good for our democracy. I don't think it's good if we have, you know, two or three members who are a linchpin in a majority government, and you have, you know, majorities trying to cater to those extreme opinions. I don't think that's going to that's going to be a great outcome for British Columbia. Yeah, but the uh, the argument, and and fair enough, every system has its faults, and you've named a few of them there. But uh, the argument you're going to have to make is a legal one, uh, and do all of these things add up to uh, something the court should step in and, and quash the referendum itself? Uh, what what layer of court have you have you filed this in, Supreme? 
Uh, we've gone to the BC Supreme Court. Yeah. Uh, we think we have a very strong case, and and you know just and it works on a couple of levels. One is the threshold to make such a fundamental change in our constitution is, is too low, and I think the Supreme Court's been very clear on that when they dealt with the Quebec issue. The question has to be clear, but this question is not clear. Yeah. The options are not clear, and two, the the the. If the majority the majority of, of voters cast, it has to be a clear and compelling majority. It can't just be fifty percent plus one when you're dealing with such a fundamental change uh, in our government. And the other thing is the limits on uh, who can participate in the debate. Beginning July one, in a few days, uh, organizations like ourselves will not be able to spend any money to run a radio ad or a newspaper ad, um, and or, or run ads on social media. Um, and so that's going to limit the debate. Uh, we don't think that's democratic. We think this is such an important issue that that organizations and individuals of all from all sides of the political spectrum, whether you support it or not, should be able to engage in a rigorous debate. And we we will not be able to do that. Um, the rules for t- participating are very complicated and um, makes it very difficult to form an organization that can legally spend money. Uh, that's not going to help our democracy. It's not going to help the debate in um, in. Uh, uh, between now and, and, and the time yeah. the ballots have been mailed in. So we're very worried uh, about the uh, the regulations that the government has imposed that will limit debate, the short time frame, the confusing question, the low threshold. Together, um, whether you support it or not, I think the government needs to pause, and they have lots of time. They can put this on the ballot next provincial election, and between now and then have all kinds of consultation, come up with questions that are clear and not confusing. Okay, Chris, we only got like 30 seconds left, so really quickly, you, you've got a tight timeline in this thing to get it in front of a judge. Uh, any idea when you're going to be able to do that? No. Uh, so we're sort of at the mercy of, uh, of the courts, and, uh, you know, they're busy. Uh, we do think that we're going to get, uh, we're, uh, we're hopeful that the court will understand how important this is, and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll be before them uh, in short order. All right, Chris, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Okay, thank you very much. And we'll stay in touch and see where this thing goes. That's the president of the Independent Contractors and Business Association, Chris Gardner, as they launch a court challenge to quash the November proportional representation referendum. We're going to take a quick break on Inside Politics. On the other side, Simon Fraser University Professor of Criminology, Dr. Robert Gordon, on the German Report. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local News Now. Welcome back to Inside Politics. Pleasure to be joined on the phone now by SFU Professor of Criminology, Dr. Robert Gordon. Obviously a very hefty uh, report, uh, a lot going on there. Uh, kudos to, to Dr. German for putting it together. Um, we look at this thing, we see people on the inside, RCMP officers, casino workers, a bevy of people waving white flags from as far back as 2008, 2011, all the way through. You have a bunch of journalists who are cranking out some pretty amazing investigative pieces from 2008 forward, uh, and yet nothing until today when we finally see this report. So uh, the question to you is, is uh, like, what happened here? Why, why was this problem just kind of papered over? Well, it's an extremely good question. Uh, and, and I'm hoping that we find out as a result of uh, some further in investigation or further inquiries, the best person to do it, as far as I'm concerned, would be Peter German. Uh, you know, he, he's got impeccable uh, credentials, and, and I think he, he would be enthusiastic, <laughs> enthusiastic in the pursuit of the truth. Um, whether this, uh, you know, is is going to run into a political op- Opposition or not, I, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, I would think EB has an appetite for it, but whether this is going to uh, be too much for uh, for the public plate um, re- remains to be seen. I do hope that there is uh, some study done of the history, some careful analysis done of exactly what went off the rails and who was responsible uh, for the train. Um, because I don't think anybody's going to be satisfied until we get those answers. Uh, and I, any government that tries to block that sort of inquiry, I think, is on a suicide mission. Well, Dr. Gordon, you're a criminology expert. Uh, you've done your fair share of uh, looking at policing issues. When you look at this particular one, with years' worth of people uh, dragging hockey bags and shopping bags with, uh, you know, bunches of 20s, uh, 13, yep. 13.5 million in one month in one casino alone, and all of the flags being waved. I mean, how the hell does people not say this is a problem? Well, it, that, that's it, that's interesting to know. I mean, you know if indeed um, 
there was a breakdown in the reporting process or whether there was a breakdown in the response to those reports because of internal squabbling. One thing that does pop up in um, the Dirty Money report is the whole issue of whether the various responsible investigation and and, uh, administration agents were working together or against each other. Um, Quite clearly, uh, there were some massive silos in place. And whenever you get that, um, you, you find that there's obstructions that come up in terms of the exchange of information and the pursuit of inquiries. And that appears to be uh, front and center in this particular case, where you've got people, um, including uh, you know fairly senior RCMP officers, saying, look, over here. <laughs> we, I think there was one quote, we went out looking for a minnow and we found, we, we found whales. I mean, that, and then the person tries to report that up and, and it goes nowhere. And in fact, from what I understand, the individual was, you know, moved sideways. Yeah. So that, all of that sort of stuff stinks and it, it needs to be uh, looked at very closely as opposed to swept under the nearest rug. Uh, and as I say, I think that we really should see this coming now uh, from an extension uh, of the German report. And that's just one bit. Another bit, most certainly, is looking at um, what I think he would very much like to look at, which is the whole real estate market and how that was involved in this particular issue. So should heads roll here in your mind, Rob, or no? Um, All right. I'll I'll go out on a limb and I'll say yes. I, I think there are some individuals responsible here who can't hide behind systemic failures, which is what Peter German is pointing to. I I don't believe that he believes that. Uh, I think he believes that there are individuals who who were, uh, I don't want to say masterminding, but most certainly turning a blind eye to a lot of things that were going on. Uh, People in the field in the trenches were reporting up, and and those reports were going nowhere. In fact, individuals appear to have been shifted sideways, moved out of the way. Question always is why? Um, what was government of the day fearful of? Uh, was was it the case that there, there were certain advantages to maintaining the status quo? I don't know, but these, these are important questions, and I think they need to be looked at carefully by an independent individual with, um, with impeccable credentials. Um, we've got the man to do it, um, and he should get busy on that before the trail goes too cold. All right. Uh, your expertise is criminology. There were some pretty fascinating aspects of the report dealing with uh, transnational crime, which is uh, becoming yeah. more and more prevalent. Uh, Dr. German seems to hint pretty heavily that we are not up to snuff on some of the criminal activity in groups from mainland China. Uh, how do you deal with something like that when we're seeing crime from China and working in partnership with local crime groups and uh, triads and southern American cartels, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? Yeah, well, it, I mean, it's a, it's a global problem. Uh, it, it cannot be managed by uh, local police. Uh, this is a federal, has to be a federal responsibility because it is global. Uh, transnational organized crime is a phenomenon that's been around for quite a while. Um, the extent to which uh, the RCMP is a federal um, police service uh, and the FBI and other organizations in North America have been effective in tackling this, uh, have been pouring energy into it and have had the resources to do that. Um, remains to be seen. I, the fact of the matter is that there is a lot of transnational organized crime. Uh, it's not getting any less in its um, importance. Its impact remains uh, significant. Uh, and all of that would suggest that uh, whatever it is we're doing now, whatever it is governments are doing now, is not working. Um, so it, it, it's something that we need to take a very hard look at. And most certainly... Uh, the People's Republic of China has to accept some responsibility for this sort of stuff. Will they? I doubt it. Yeah. I mean, they, they operate in a, in, a, in a different realm. I don't think they're really seriously interested in 
uh, in any kind of um, any kind of activity, any cooperation with uh, North American law enforcement agencies. Um, they probably pay lip service to that, but uh, the fact of the matter is, it's a, it's a different world, a different jurisdiction, um, where values are quite different, and ways of proceeding are quite different. So we can't look for any cooperation there. Uh, now, any more than we have been able to look for it over the last 20 or 30 years. So we got uh, 48 recommendations. We have a pretty extensive uh, analysis of the problem, which is is refreshing. Yep. Uh, the question now is, is where do we go from here, or is it is it too late? I, I think, yeah, these are great recommendations, and I and I hope government takes them seriously because uh, it, it will at least help to uh, prevent this sort of stuff from happening again. Um, but I think that the stable door has slammed shut. Uh, the stallion has bolted, and uh, they're probably already uh, finding alternative ways of, of laundering money. Um, so in that respect, uh, indirectly, Peter German's cleaned up the casinos. Uh, I, I think that there probably also needs now to be some serious work done on casino responsibility. These companies who have been running these casinos in, in BC obviously uh, have not done a terribly good job of uh, regulating themselves um, and cooperating with, uh, with the outside regulatory bodies. So this whole thing needs to be looked at again. I'm hoping that um, his recommendations around uh, creating a separate regulatory body uh, with, with its own uh, policing wing uh, will go some way to doing that. But uh, as I say, uh, I, I think the money laundering activity, uh, insofar as casinos are concerned, is probably already over. All right. Uh, last question. Uh, you look at these 48 recommendations. There's obviously a lot of them are about uh, getting the house in order and getting rid of some of the acrimony, but some of the bigger ones, casino police, uh, a crown corporation to tackle enforcement. Uh, is the government, uh, the current government of the day, is it, uh, it going to have to go through all 48, Rob, do you think? Do you think they can afford to kind of say, we're not doing this one, we're going to do that one? I, 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 well, Peter German's recommendation is that they do the lot. Uh, and you know, having sort of been in a similar situation with respect to other areas myself, and uh, cherry picking uh, n- never works properly. Um, cherry picking is usually done in order to um, prevent embarrassments. It's done in order to reduce the cost of implementing things. But it, he, he's obviously crafted a package here, and we need to respect that package. Uh, and government needs to move on the recommendations. They've already started doing that. The easy bits uh, they've already started with. Um, and I, I, it, it, it needs to, EB uh, and the current government need to see it through, uh, even though it may take a couple of years and even though it may you know, extend beyond their current uh, mandate. It, it, they need to bring in the lot. Um, just simply tinkering on the edges is, is not the way to go. Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Gordon, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. You're more than welcome. My thanks to my guests today, Keith Baldry, Richard Zussman, Andrew Wilkinson, and as you just heard, Chris Gardner there. We'll see you again uh, taking a bit of a break. We're going to do a best of show next week. We'll see you in a couple weeks right here on Radio NL and Inside Politics. Where the interior stays connected. CHNL in Kamloops is Radio NL, 610 AM. Local news now.